Hello people of the world, welcome back to Not So Innocent. I am your host Safi Shishakhart Sinteng and Not So Innocent is a true crime podcast. If you are a true crime junkie like myself, this is the podcast for you. And if you are new here, welcome. And today is International Wednesday, so we are going to talk about our first international true crime case. And and this is a case that got me into true crime obsession and we have a person who got me into true crime obsession with this case <laughs> and the person is we have a guest today guys the person is hello everyone my name is evelyn daisy carsenteng and i am your first guest for those of you who don't know i guess most of you don't know Uh, Daisy is my sister and yes my sister got me into true crime obsession that's not that that does not sound normal but <laughs> but yes she got me into this true crime obsession and with the case with today's case today's case is going to be about Jeffrey Dahmer so one day she was like like hey like have like do you watch true crimes and then i was like no and then she was like and i was like like why <laughs> so there's this guy his name is jeffrey darber and then he did this and then he did that i was like what but wait but wait i don't want to hear all of it i want to watch because i actually got interested and i was like wait i want to watch it myself so you remember that yeah, and then and then i was like Like you just wait. Don't tell me no more because it won't. Be, it will be like a spoiler, right? So mm. right after Jeffrey Dahmer's case, and then I, f- I started watching another one, and then another one, and another one, yes. and, and she it just, was yeah, unstoppable. On on. <laughs> For me, I uh, after I watched the Jeffrey Dahmer case, I was like, uh, I mean, my my brain, it was it f- it froze like it's that 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 case it stuck in my head. So I was like, I was. it triggered my brain in, in in such a way that i stopped watching true crime stories but then sapi like she oh she did not stop from there she went on and on yeah. and on and like you jeffrey don't know like wait, after jeffrey dawa was like okay what do we have next <laughs> <laughs> she was really unstoppable like every day she would sit with her phone and then whenever i went to her room to watch her or to say hi She would always be like watching true crime stories. Whatever whenever I asked her what are you doing, she was like she just looked at me <laughs> and then I would look at her phone and then I would see that she watched true crime these true crime stories and then she would be the one later who would come and tell me about other true crime stories and then we would like share our whatever yeah. whatever true crime stories we, we have watched yeah. we would share with each other and then we would go <laughs> and watch them later by ourselves. Yeah, and they would be like, "Have you heard of this case?" And and then suppose if Daisy is already heard, she'd be like, "Yeah, I heard about that case." Oh yeah, I watched about that case. I was like, "Oh okay." And then yeah, we'll just do that. And then after that, she was just like, "We don't know why we are so into this, these uh, true crime stories." But then, yes, look, yeah, look at so, us. So so Jeffrey Dahmer actually got us into. I mean Jeffrey Dahmer's case. <laughs> actually got us into true crime obsession so i don't know should i say thank you jeffrey dahmer <laughs> i don't think so i should but yeah cr- the credit goes to jeffrey dahmer and just to clarify so she said it triggered my brain it not 
it but it trigger her brain meaning it bothered her for days mm-hmm. right yeah. it does not mean it triggered her in a criminal <laughs> no 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 in a criminal self <laughs> I, i didn't mean it like that yeah. um so uh, before starting with the case i would like to thank neha neha thank you so much for helping me out with uh, coming up you know of this podcast name so thank you so much because i'm not so good with names so i had to take help oh one thing katy perry mentioned jeffrey dahmer in one of her songs oh yeah she did she did she was like not katy but it his name was in one of her songs but the rapper mentioned her name or uh, his name yeah the rapper mentioned his yeah, name he was like Like Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know that na- that song. But, but the title of the song is Dark, Dark Horse. You can go and check it out. Yes, that song. <laughs> so Jeffrey Dahmer is in her song, not like in in her song, but then his name was in her song. Mm-hmm. And if you are interested in true crime stories like us, you can go to YouTube and watch his interview. Yeah, yeah, you can after, but not right now, guys. Right now, <laughs> stay with us. <laughs> we after, we after meet you done, here. <laughs> yeah. After you've done listening to to, uh, to my podcast, then you can watch his interviews. I will try not to forget uh, things to mention because uh, most of the things, all of them, I think, are important. Like uh, they are important for this case. Yes. Yeah, because it just. Build up. I don't know. It's just like there are a lot yeah. of twists. Um, let's oh, not say twists, so but then twists. surprises. I don't know, but then yes, yeah. so many twists. So today's case is going to be about Jeffrey Dahmer. He is an American serial killer and sex offender. He is also known as the Milwaukee Cannibal or the Milwaukee Monster. He was convicted for murdering and dismembering 17 men and boys from 1978 to 1991. His crimes also involved necrophilia, cannibalism and permanent preservation of body parts. Now this case has got to be one of the most most popular uh, cases in the history of true crimes and if if you guys are real the real true crime junkies you would know this case this is a disclaimer if you guys have a weak stomach i would suggest you to please listen to this uh, episode at your own discretion and um, let's get into it so jeffrey dahmer was born on 21st may 1960 in milwaukee wisconsin which is in the us he was the first son of Joyce Annett who was a teletype machine instructor and Lionel Herbert Dahmer who was a student a chemistry student at Marquette University so Jeffrey's father had him when he was um he was a chemistry student at this university now it has been claimed that Jeffrey was deprived of attention as an infant or he was neglected in simple words and other sources however suggest that Jeffy was doted upon as an infant and toddler by both of his parents although people say that his mother was known to be tense greedy for both attention and pity 
and she was also known to be argumentative so she would constantly argue with uh, Jeffy's father mm -hmm. and even their neighbors so there was so much going on with Jeffy's mother when he was in first grade Joyce the mother began to spend an increasing amount of time in bed recovering from weakness because she was always sick and she was also a hypochondriac who always suffered from depression so she was in constant need of attention even i'm uh i'm kind of a hypochondriac i believe but i'm not not this intense this this is very very intense but yeah, I I'm a hypochondriac in a way. Why are you diagnosing yourself as a hypochondriac when? Because I'm a hypochondriac. That's what hypochondriacs do. You cannot just diagnose yourself just like that. See, but then it it but then it's that's the problem. Like I don't know if you. <laughs> so if I have this 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 just maybe this faint ache. Uh, around my like heart area i'll be like oh my goodness i have a heart problem i need to go <laughs> i'll always feel like that or or if 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 there's a pain around my ab ab abdominal area i'll be like oh my do i have gastric cancer it's always like that i don't know why but i, I would always think of that even even in the initial days of of lockdown and everything was was yeah you know how i was I was like, I don't want to travel with them. <laughs> my friends would know this. <laughs> I don't want to travel, uh, you know, public with public transport because it's it's so dangerous. Yes, yeah, so I would just walk and walk and walk, and I'd rather walk than travel with uh, public transport. Now it's now it's it's okay. But then before I was like, oh my god, no no no, public tra public transport, <laughs> no. <laughs> I think it runs in the family. Remember that one time when I told you maybe I have a limb node cancer? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, but then that for that you did the search and stuff, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I love but to then, research things uh, a lot. But then, yeah. Okay. yeah, but then for me, it's like, <gasps> oh my goodness, I'm having this. Oh my goodness. I think, I think I'm having, I think I have a heart. <laughs> I think I have a heart problem. And then I do, and then I do a research after after that and then it'll be like oh my god I, I think maybe it's another disease <laughs> so yeah okay let's get back to Jeffy uh, so I call him Jeffy I feel like calling him Jeffy because um, it sounds innocent but he's not so innocent mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I see I can see Yeah. what smart. you just did there just now smart right mm -hmm. so very smart, so smart. Very smart. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay <laughs> let's get back to Jeffy so um so, she, so yeah jeffy's mother right so joyce joyce was joyce was also hypochondriac she also suffered from depression and she was she just wanted attention and she was just in need of attention and she wanted to be pampered and stuff right and so she also reportedly worked herself into state of anxiety over trivial matters just to earn you know just to earn some attention from her husband so yeah and one day it was said that she attempted suicide using equal 
Equinil is a medication used for uh, used to treat symptoms of anxiety or nervousness. It it basically calms you know the nervous system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. So she attempted suicide by consuming Equinil. I guess overdose. I think she was trying to do. Guys, please don't do this kind of stuff. It's just stupid. Okay, it's stupid. Now, so even Lionel did not have much time because, like I said, he was a student when when he had um, Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. So Lionel was always busy with his studies and whatnot. And then whenever he came home, then he would, you know, most of the times tend to his wife's um, needs and wants because she she always wants that attention and that you know someone to be there so yeah so just just from this it it shows that that jeffy really did not have a, a nice childhood i guess right he did not really get that pampering and loving and everything mm-hmm. from his parents so yeah so neither of the parents really devoted much time to their son to jeffy who later said that you know he felt unsure of the solidity of the family he also remembered like the times when his um, parents argue and then his parents would fight you know which are many said numerous arguments so yeah but parents Please, please stop doing that. Please stop arguing in front of your kids. Okay? It is not good for their mental health. And you might not realize it. But it damages it, it damages their brain and their perception of a relationship. And then it later affects, you know, how they treat their partners. Yes, it does. Uh, guys, yes, something <laughs> called mental health also exists. And I think our society needs to start, you know, acknowledging it and be mindful of their kids and their own mental health. And just, yeah, just stop fighting in front of your kids, people. So, Jeffy was, I quote, an energetic and happy child. But then he suddenly became subdued after double hernia surgery. It was was shortly after his um, fourth birthday. And so he just became completely silent and very timid. His family said that it was it was it was like he came out of that hospital as a different a completely different kid. Yeah. And I don't know what happened in the hospital that made this, you know, outgoing like this four year old kid who who was outgoing and very cheerful and very, you know, happy most of the time or all the time to change to this um completely opposite personality right this people say that this could be because of isolation and stuff because in the hospitals in uh, hospitals in u.s they are different different from india so unlike here in india parents would actually get to attend to their kids at the hospital right so we would always have our parents around whenever like we're in hospital. I have never been to a hospital but and I've never been admitted to a hospital. It's not like I've never been to a hospital. <laughs> I've never been admitted to one. But then yeah, I've seen like parents they're always there with their kids, right? 
attending to their kids and stuff so and kids when they're sick especially they really need their parents beside them they really need more <coughs> attention more and all of that so but then in the US it's it's not it's not like that they have nurses to attend to the patients mm-hmm. right yes like you see in the movies yeah so maybe that isolation and not being able to see his parents often when you know he was sick when he really he really needed them that time is also one of the reasons which uh, he changed this quiet and timid kid and so at elementary school dharma was regarded as quiet and timid one teacher later recollected Uh, she detected early signs of abandonment or neglect it was due to his mother's illness and then his father was always busy right but then even after all of this jeffy did have he, he did have a small number of um, friends when he was a kid mm-hmm. okay so here is the strange and weird stuff okay so jeffy manifested an interest in dead animals from an early age that's yeah. weird it is so weird it's so weird okay so in <laughs> so yeah so initially he would collect large insects like dragonflies and butterflies and he was then he would put them in jars yeah he would just collect like random butterflies and dragonflies and then just put everything in jars <laughs> and then he would also later collect an uh, animal carcasses mm-hmm. as in like animal dead bodies and he, he was sometimes accompanied by one or more of his friends but then most of the times i guess he was alone yeah that's so strange right as a kid to have such kind of um such kind of a uh, hobby yes it does i mean like Balance. yes i can see some kids they would like to put maybe house fly in a jar but then but then to have a habit or to have an interest in keeping them yeah that's like you know have a real interest in keeping them and watching them and all of that stuff that's weird yeah i don't know kids might find it amusing but then they're dead insects <laughs> <laughs> if if they were like still alive and stuff like we still like i still understand but then again they would just suffocate right yeah they would i know i think we as it we just giving so much thought <laughs> in dragonflies and butterflies <laughs> let's just get to the bigger ones okay <laughs> bigger issues <laughs> and so yeah he was he he would uh, collect these animal carcasses and then he would he would dismember them yeah. dismember them yeah like he would and um, wow i mean that dissect them <laughs> yeah why uh, would he do that he said that he was uh, so jeffy as a kid he was he was a very very curious kid okay so his main reason was his main reason was he was curious of oh, what the inside of I these remember, animals yeah. look like yeah now now i remember he mentioned that in one of his interview yeah yeah he did he did and so he was like so he would dissect these animals um at his you know behind like not at his behind <laughs> I'm so sorry not at his behind guys sorry sorry <laughs> like at his backyard mm-hmm. or or his um woodland behind his house yeah 
so he would just dismember these animals and then he would collect and then he would collect some of the parts in jars again wow in the family's tool shed now that connects with everything that happens later yeah please don't don't don't, don't. no spoilers please <laughs> okay okay when his friends asked him like why do you have you know why do you collect these and why do you collect these like parts bits and pieces in in a jar and he was like i just want to know how animals fit it together that's a weird curiosity i mean like yeah no no that's just straight up red flags okay <laughs> but then oh, wow. the but then i his parents like like i've already mentioned and like you know the suspicions of this of his teacher was he was neglected so his parents li- really did not care not not care but mm-hmm. they really, really did not see those as red flags because they were so occupied in their own stuff right so okay moving on so uh, it was said that this fascination with dead animals may have begun when he was 4 and he saw his father removing animal bones from beneath the family home because they stayed near the woods right and the animals like raccoons and all of those mm-hmm. would bring dead animals beneath their house yeah and then they would just leave them there and then they would just decompose and stuff right and then his yeah. dad, i mean his father would collect these bones and stuff and so according to lionel Yeah, according to Lionel, Jeffy was Jeffy was oddly thrilled by the sound of the bones. Yeah. <laughs> you 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 know that clicking sound when yeah. when dropping a bone in a tin jar like okay. <laughs> I rem- I remember when Lionel said that in one of the interview. It like it was it was very chilling. Like I was like how would Jeffy like the sound of the bones cracking mm, exactly and then and he was just four he was just four just imagine just, yeah he was just four people and he liked this and um, the sound he was thrilled by the sound right he then became preoccupied with collecting these animal bones and he occasionally searched beneath and around the family home for additional bones and explored the bodies of life animals to discover where the bones are were located like yeah <laughs> okay just just that itself if i see a kid doing that i'll be like what the in the world are you doing just leave that alone <laughs> i mean exactly if i see a kid doing that i'll just be like just leave it alone like what are you doing psych not psycho weirdo <laughs> yeah And so um one day Jeffy decapitated the carcass of a dog and then he would later nail it to a tree nail it to a yeah, tree yeah nailed it to a tree and he fixed the skull of this dog on a stake beside a wooden cross behind mm. his house yeah that is just so weird if how really could if his parents not uh, see all of that I know, I don't know how, but then it's just Yeah, it's just so weird. If I was a parent, I would be like concerned. I would be concerned. I would be so concerned. October 1966, the family moved to Doylestown or Doylestown in Ohio. 
when Joyce gave birth to Jeff to Jeffy's younger brother in December and Jeffy was you know just the even the parents were like okay maybe maybe Jeffy needs a little bit more you know he needs to f- feel a little bit more involved mm-hmm. because you know he was all so silent and so he would hardly talk so so the parents was like maybe if he feels more involved in everything you know he would speak up so he was allowed to choose the name of his new baby brother and he chose the name david mm-hmm. and so the same year lionel his father earned his degree and then started to work as an analytical chemist in nearby our akron ohio so in 1968 the family moved to bath township summit county ohio right and fast forward to two years later during a chicken dinner when i win a chicken dinner okay i'm so sorry <laughs> okay so during during a chicken dinner jeffy asked lionel what would happen if the chicken bones were placed in bleach who 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 as a kid asked that kind of i don't know i think we just dumb kids we were just dumb kids i don't know but then which i yeah how did he even know about bleach i don't know oh my goodness maybe okay. because his father is a chemist yeah maybe So yeah, so his father being a chemist, he was like, "Oh my god, my son is following my footsteps." Wow. <laughs> he was like, "This is my time to shine, people. This is my time to shine." So his father was so his father was like very pleased with, you know, Jeffy's curiosity, thinking he was Obviously. Yeah, he thinking he wants to follow his father's footsteps. And so Lionel demonstrated how to safely bleach and preserve animal bones. at this point he, um jeffrey was 7 seven years old when i was 7 i wouldn't i'm not a curious seriously tell you yeah and and which which father would show a 7 year old how to bleach and preserve animal that's, bones that's dangerous and also not normal exactly <laughs> but uh, again like During the interviews, Jeffy really hated when people blamed their parents. I mean, his parents. He was like, "It's none of my parents' fault. It's mine." So yeah. Okay. Then let's see. Let's hear the rest of the story. So, Jeffy incorporated these preserving techniques into his bone collecting. So he really liked collecting bones, right? So he was still collecting bones at this point in time. This information is important. It is very important for Jeffrey, and then even later in this case. Now the same year, Joyce began increasing her daily consumption of equinol laxatives and sleeping pills, and this led to minimal contact with husband and children. I mean, of course, she wouldn't have the strength to talk to them or play with her kids anymore after consuming all of those strong medications, right? So there was a lot going on with Joyce and it was believed that some of these mental issues that she was having was hereditary. I even saw it in a documentary she was like oh even my my mother or my aunt or something like that had 
you know mental issues and stuff like mental illness from his freshman year at Revere High School Dharma Jeffy Dharma was seen as an outcast by the age of 14 he had begun drinking beer and hard alcohol in broad daylight yeah during school hours yes and then he would hide his liquor inside this lining of the army jacket he used to wear to school mm-hmm. so one morning his classmate who was sitting next to him asked what are you drinking jeffy and then he said oh it's it's my medicine so like i've mentioned jeffy was this uh, kid who wouldn't socialize much and everything right but Although with this reputation of his he was seen as a polite guy and an intellectual guy but then he had average grades so everyone in school was like oh oh Jeffrey oh he was yeah he is nice he is very polite although he don't talk much i i don't know why he's getting average grades when he's you know smart so yeah people would be like that and then he was good at tennis and he was also in a school band for a short while i don't know what is it with these you know criminal and their intellectual they're usually very smart <laughs> they are i mean like yeah so this this scares me okay yeah some smart person would just snap and just turn into a serial killer yeah that's that's not a nice scene yeah but that doesn't mean that all smart people are criminals yeah yeah no i mean you know you never know <laughs> you never know which smart person would just go nuts like all of a sudden so when jeffy reached puberty he discovered that he was gay so he discovered that he was gay but he did not tell his parents in his early teens he had this brief relationship with his with this guy with this boy with his teenage boy but they did, they did not have sex or something or anything right so yes yeah, so they were just in a relationship mm. and then he later confessed that you know he began fantasizing about dominating and controlling a complete submissive male partner so this is some bdsm <laughs> stuff okay These fantasies of his he actually confessed that these fantasies of his gradually became in his words intermingled with dismemberment or dissection. I don't know how do how do people even come up with these kind of things. So when he was 16, do you remember this? So he was when not like remember when he was 16 but then <laughs> this part of the story okay, this part of the case. So when he was 16, Jeffy conceived a fantasy of knocking conscious a male jogger who used to jog along the road. He had this weird fantasy. So he he has like all the weird fantasies, okay? He has all he had all the weird fantasies. So he had this fantasy of just laying down an unconscious uh, person. You just lay down like not do anything, just to lay down in peace. Yeah. And then And so one day Jeffy hid in bushes with a baseball bat and he was waiting for this man. However, this man did not pass by that road on that particular day. So this man was very lucky. I don't know whatever reason, what was the reason, but he made the right decision. <laughs> yeah. 
so this guy he did not pass by and then jeffy was like oh he's not coming today so yeah i'll just go back so he went back and he did not go back to that place since i go back to you know hunt for this man since and so jeffy said that this was like that was his first attempt to attack someone so jeffy was jeffy was very honest with the interviews and stuff right he was very honest and when if he don't know stuff he'll say he don't know stuff and if he knows then he'll just tell them directly like why he did it and how he did it it's very chilling if you hear the if you watch the documentaries guys and so and so you know despite being regarded as a loner and as an outcast amongst his peers in high school jeffy was known as a class clown yeah he would he would often stage pranks and what not and so people call it doing a dharma because his name is jeffrey dharma so people call it doing a dharma these included bleeding which is like you know the weaving like the crying of a sheep or a goat or a calf yeah so you would just you would just bleed and then he would just imitate epileptic seizures which are not funny at all but then the kids back then these kids back then they found it funny like they found them funny so he would these he would do these at school and you know local stores and at the mall so the year 1977 was a lot for the Dharma family it was a lot jeffy's grades were declining so his parents hired a private tutor but it did nothing actually and then his parents were also in a you know in the verge of divorce they tried to save the marriage by going for counseling and what not and then lionel discovered that joyce his wife mm-hmm. had brief affair in september 1977 yeah wow so she had an affair with some guy right and then lionel found out and they both decided to divorce and then they told their son you know they wish it wasn't this way and stuff i mean both of them could actually but again like who am i to say right when it's over it's over i guess right i don't know so lionel moved out of the house in early 1979 uh, i'm sorry in early 1978 and shortly after joyce took little david and moved out of the house so jeffy was 18 year old at this point leaving jeffy alone yeah so they just left jeffy alone at that house mm-hmm. and that is one of the biggest mistakes i guess they they made yes they did made. yeah i mean see i know jeffy was 18 and was a graduate at that time but then he probably felt abandoned mm-hmm. you know and the fact that his mother only took little david with her must have made him feel very left out yeah, more like left more out. left out mm-hmm. and he must have felt sad right and i honestly feel very bad for jeffy like in this part i feel bad for him i feel bad for him because when i was 18 i felt like i was still 13 or 
<laughs> I mean, I knew that I was 18, but I didn't feel like 80. I don't know if you guys have been in that stage. But yeah, I have. And I f- and to think of it, like most of Asian kids are pampered in a way, right? Yeah, they, they right? are. I mean, unlike in the in you know the Western countries, when you're 16 and you start getting, you start searching for jobs, like part-time jobs mm-hmm. and stuff, right? And then when you're 18, you're not dependable anymore on your parents and stuff, right? But then in in like here, we still stay with our parents. Even yeah. after we got a job. Yeah, even after we get jobs. In fact, it will be more helpful if we get a job because we'll get to help our parents. Yeah. Yeah. And then we and then and then we move out of the house until we're married. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, we, we kinda pampered to think of it. So Jeffy was left alone in this house, right? And he was sad and lonely and this and this is when his urges became even stronger. Yeah. Like, you know, people say an idol mind is home for all evils, right? Or I don't know how does the saying goes exactly, but it's something like that. But keep in mind, his father did not know that Jeffy was left alone at that house. Yeah. Why? Where was he? Because remember he left before Joyce. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he left before Joyce, and then Joyce, af- after his father left, uh, Joyce took only little David. So his father d- did not know. No one informed him that Jeffy was alone at that house, okay. and there was no one with him. Okay, okay. But I'm pretty sure if if Lionel knew that mm-hmm. he was alone, he would go back in an instant. Because. Definitely. Because I mean, obviously, because like, they had a very, they had a very good relationship, Jeffy and his dad, and he really loved his dad. He even wrote him a poem. Yes, and a po- that poem says, "The squash and the pumpkins can never compare to the kind of dad who has curly hair." This poem is from Jeff, and I love you to death. That's cute. Yeah, it's so cute. I don't know, kids, kids, kids are so the the things they write, the things they draw. Sometimes it's just bizarre. Sometimes it's just cute, <laughs> and sometimes it's just you don't understand. Yeah, but this 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 was cute, and he even drew his dad and his glasses munching on like corn. Mm-hmm. It was so cute. Okay, so he was he was he was crafty that guy. I mean, Jeffy. He was, yeah, he was a crafty guy. Okay. So, he was left all alone in this house and everything, right? So, it leads us to his first murder. Jeffy committed his first murder in 1978, three weeks after his graduation. So, it was was the time when he was living alone in the family home in Bath Township, Mm -hmm. Ohio. And so on June 18, Jeffy picked up a hitchhiker named Stephen Mark Hicks, who was almost 19. Now, Jeffy was on his way home in the car ride when he saw Hicks. He just found him attractive because, you know, he was, he saw his bare chest and everything. And he was like, oh my God, that is so sexy. So yeah, his fantasies came, like, kicked in. Mm-hmm. The thing that amazed me 
was that during the interview, Jeffy said that he tried fighting his urges. Yeah. He I did remember. Try. Yeah. And he said that he wished he continued driving that evening. Mm-hmm. That that really amazes me. But then he just could not fight it. He stopped the car right beside Higgs and then he he invited Higgs. He was like, let's go to my place, you know. And Higgs, who had been hitchhiking to a rock concert at Chippewa Lake Park, Ohio, agreed to accompany Jeffy to his house upon the promise of a few beers. Yeah, with mm-hmm. Jeffy. Because, you know, Jeffy had the house to himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when Higgs began talking about girls, he knew that any sexual passes you know, he, he made, mm-hmm. it would be rejected because clearly Higgs was straight, right? Mm-hmm. And so after several hours of talking and drinking and listening to music, Higgs was like, okay, I need to leave now. My family must be wondering where I've been for so long and so on, right? But then Jeffy didn't want to leave him. Mm-hmm. I mean, didn't want him to leave. And so Jeffy got so mad when Higgs told him, you know, he wanted to go, I really need to go and and whatnot, that in response, he struck Higgs with a 10-pound dumbbell twice (laughs) from behind. And when Higgs was, that was when Higgs was sitting on a chair. And then, and when Higgs fell unconscious, Jeffy strangled him to death with the bar of the dumbbell. Then, he stripped the clothes of Hicks before exploring his chest with his hands and then he would masturbate as he stood above Hicks's dead body. And then the following day, Jeffy dissected Hicks's body in his basement and he later buried the remains in a shallow grave in his backyard. And then after a few weeks, he would take them back up, take it out, and then he would um, separate the flesh from the bone and then yeah <laughs> and then he would dissolve the flesh in acid and then after dissolving the flesh in acid i mean the the flesh in acid he would flush the solution down to the toilet and that same night that same night he collected the bones in a garbage bag yeah and then he headed towards a dumpster but but he got pulled over by the police because he was speeding through the center of the lane so he was pulled over and he was asked what was in the garbage bag and then he put on a show yeah he did put on a show and then he told the police you know what actually my parents are my parents are getting a divorce and they got into yet another fight and I just don't want to be home at this moment. It's just too much. It's just too much for me to take in all of that. So I thought a trip to a dumpster would, you know, help me get away from the negative for a while. Mm-hmm. From negativity for a while. And then the cop bought it. Yeah. So he believed him and then he let him go with just a speeding ticket. Mm. So Jeffy was he was I've already mentioned he was always so polite and he was good with his words. He was really good with his words. 
And so Jeffy went back home and then crushed the bones with a sledgehammer and scattered them in the woods behind his house. And just like that, all the evidence was, destroy was destroyed and no one knew what happened to Stephen Hicks until Jeffy confessed when he was caught. So six weeks after the murder of Hicks, Jeffy's father and his fiancée returned to his home where they discovered Jeffrey was living alone at the house. Now Lionel, Lionel got so mad. He was like, where's your mother? How did nobody tell me anything? What were you doing for these past six weeks alone? And by the time the divorce had already been had already been finalized and Joyce got full custody of David. And even then, no one told Lionel that Jeffrey was alone at that house. So Lionel got so mad and then he came to know that Jeffrey was drinking every day and so on. So that August, Lionel enrolled Jeffrey at Ohio State University, hoping to major in business. Well, Jeffy was failing in most of the subjects, but the only course he was successful at was riflery. Now, I don't even know. I don't even know why was riflery included in a business course. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know. But then, so, Jeffy, he dropped out of the university just after three months. Now, Jeffy's father really wanted him to do well and then he, you know, he tried suggesting many things for him to be, for in order for him to be more productive and active and not indulge in alcohol and stuff, right? So in January 1979, on his father's request, Jeffy enlisted in the United States Amer uh, Army, United States America. <laughs> so he enlisted in the United States Army where he trained as a medical specialist at Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, Texas. So yes, I did remember in one of his interviews, he mentioned that he liked to sleep with dead people, like with a corpse, with the corpses. So in June 1986, he, he actually laced the drinks of these people in the bathhouse mm -hmm. with um, sleeping pills and sedatives and then he would rape them and this happened to like 12 people at least because this is purely just a bathhouse where people come and then take part and then you know, just just basically relax just to get some relaxation and so it, there was nothing like a uh, prostitution operation or something here it wasn't anything like that it was just purely a bathhouse and so when the owner came to know, he was kicked out and then he was banned from going to that bathhouse ever again. And then after that, he began to use hotel rooms. And then shortly after, Jeffy read a report in a newspaper regarding this upcoming funeral of an 18-year-old male. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so he somehow came up with this idea of stealing the cops. And did he manage? I mean, like, I don't remember that part, but then did he manage to steal that corpse? No, like, he did, like, halfway. <laughs> halfway as in, like, he did go to the grave and then he dug up. But then he was like, the soil is too hard. I will, I will just give up. Yeah, he he said that the, the, the soil was too hard and then he just got tired of digging the grave. And so he just left it there. And then he went back. 
god i i i don't i i don't remember that part but then yeah it was so on 20th november 1987 jeffy at that time he was still living with his grandma in west alice so he encountered a 25 year old man from michigan his name was steven toomey so he met steven at a gay bar so jeffy persuaded steven to go with him to ambassador hotel in milwaukee where he had rented a room for the evening so he took him to the room and you know they again they had conversations they had drinks they were listening to music and what not and he drugged him he drugged him and then he raped him and the next day he woke up with steven laying beneath him on the bed his chest was crushed in and he was all black and blue with full of bruises yeah and according to sorry according to jeffy he said that he had no intentions of murdering to me yeah his intention was only to drug him and rape him but then he even he was like i don't know what happened but the next morning i woke up with that with steven Jeffy's fist and one forearm were bruised and Jeffy stated that he had no memory at all of having killed Steven. Do you think he might have a DID? I don't know. I don't know because because it's only in this case that he did not remember how it happened. I think he was just too intoxicated himself. Maybe. I guess because he said that you know he could not believe that it happened when he confessed mm-hmm. he said that he could not believe that it happens that steven died so he really did not recall anything from that night so steven is dead right so what do he do now what does he what will he do now right the body is there how will he dispose the body in the hotel so she purchased a large suitcase in which he transported steven's body to his grandma's place and then a week later he severed the head the arms and the legs so he started dismembering his body he started separating the flesh from the bones and then he cut these flesh into pieces and placed them inside plastic garbage bags and then later he wrapped the bones inside a sheet and then he started pounding them till with a sledgehammer like he did before right the whole thing he completed in approximately 2 hours and then he disposed all of steven's remains including his severed head in the trash for a total of 2 weeks after steven's murder jeffy kept steven's head it was wrapped in a blanket and after 2 weeks he boiled the head in a mixture of soil eggs and bleach so he wanted to retain the skull because he wanted to use the skull for masturbation Yeah that is such that is so disturbing you guys it is so disturbing this is just so disturbing it is one of the most disturbing cases i would say i don't think so i mean like i don't know how i don't know how did he became like this but then do you think it might be because of his childhood or maybe because of his other interests of keeping insects that insects in a jar or something See, he just had this fantasy, right? So with with Hicks, he maybe he just he found out the pleasure he got, mm-hmm. or getting his 
uh, sexual pleasures from a dead body. I think it's because of that. And then he just incorporated whatever he learned when he was a kid, you know, to bleach and everything, and then to just preserve the bones. Mm -hmm. He just incorporated all of those in with his like crimes, with his murders. But again, like all of these satisfaction and everything, it's all like his like, mm. inside his mind. How did he think of that? I don't know. But but how how could he be so comfortable with sleeping with cops or even unconscious people? That's I don't really know that. If Jeffrey was still alive, I would really like to ask him that. But then he even he doesn't know. I guess something is really wrong with his with his mind, mm -hmm. with his brain. So the skull was because he bleached it and everything, right? So it it, it like started breaking into pieces and stuff. And so then he just posted off. Right after what happened to Stephen, he actually began to seek for victims to lure people in and stuff. So that is when he started. How how do I put this? Like officially started murdering people, right? and targeting his victims he would uh, get most of his victims from the gay bars or close to the gay bar and then he would lure them in to his grandmom's home and then he would drug him and then he would you know rape them they were unconscious of course giving them sleeping pills and he would rape them and he would kill them he would strangle them to death after two months, um, Jeffy encountered a 14-year-old Native American male prostitute. His name was James Dockstater. And so Jeffy again lured him in. He offered him $50 to pose for nude pictures. This kid was like, $50 only for pictures? Okay, sure, why not? And so, and so then later they got into sexual activities and then Jeffy drugged him and then he strangled him and then he strangled James. Jeffy left the body in the cellar for a week and then he started dismembering his body in the same manner like he did to Stephen. And then he placed all of James's remains, excluding the skull, in the trash and then he boiled the skull again you know, retaining it for his sexual pleasures. On 24th March 1988, Tama met a 22-year-old bisexual man by the name of Richard Guerrero outside a gay bar again. And he again lured Guerrero in his grandmom's residence. He was offered $50 to just, you know, spend the night with Jeffy. And then he drugged Guerrero again with sleeping pills and then again he did the same thing. He strangled him and then he performed oral sex with the cops. He dismembered the body within 24 hours. So you see how it escalated. Mm -hmm. It goes from two weeks to a week and then now 24 hours. And then he did the same thing with the, with the remains except the skull. So he would keep these skulls for like months. And on 23rd April, he lured another young man to his house. However, after giving this guy drugged coffee, his grandmother heard him. And then she was like, is that you, Jeff? He was surprised that mm -hmm. his, you know, grandmom actually heard him. And so he replied. He replied in a way that made his grandmother kind of believe he was alone. Because of this reason, Jeffy did not kill his victim. Instead, he was waiting until he had become unconscious, so he took him to the hospital instead. So, and then, 
In September 1988, Dahmer's grandmother asked him to move out because of his habits, you know, of bringing young men to a house late at night and then the foul smell, like of course, mm-hmm. the foul smell of the basement, like, what are you doing? Like, my basement smells like crap and what are you doing? You, you don't clean this room, you don't do anything, like, yeah, anyone would keep a person like that out, right? And so, and then Dama, after moving out of his grandmom, grandmother's place, he found a one-bedroom apartment in North 25th Street and moved to his new residence in September. Jeffrey did it everything. He was, he was <laughs> a necrophilia. He was a pedophile. He was a murderer. He was a cannibal. He was everything. And then he also did worse things. So his fifth victim was a mixed-race 24-year-old aspiring model by the name of Anthony Sears, whom he met again at the gay bar on March 25, 1989. And according to Jeffy, this part of the location, he was really not looking to commit a crime. So Dharma, again, lured Sears in to his mother's, I mean his grandmother's residence and they then got engaged in sexual activities. I don't know what changed his mind, but he dropped Sears and then he strangled him. I don't know what changed his mind from he wasn't looking for, you know, to commit a crime to this, to actually committing one. And so the following morning, Jeffy placed the corpse in his grandmother's bathtub. Yes, bathtub where he dismembered the body he stripped the flesh from the bones and then again he pulverized the bones and then he disposed it off in the trash according to jeffy he found anthony sears exceptionally attractive and then sears was also the first victim whom he permanently retained any body parts so he preserved sears head and genitalia and he stored them in his work locker. <laughs> just, it's just disgusting. Like, ew. And so when he moved to his new place the following year, he even took his remains there. That That is how um, attached he was to Sears. So on May 14, 1990, Dahmer moved out of his grandmother's place into the Oxford Apartments, located in North 25th Street in Milwaukee which is a high crime area and the apartment was also close to his workplace and it was also close to the gay bar so it was very it was the most convenient place for him this is where most of his killings happened he took sears mummified head and genitals along with him and within one week of his moving into you know his new apartment jeffy had killed his sixth victim his name was raymond smith now, Smith was a 32-year-old male prostitute uh, whom Jeffy lured to his apartment, apartment 2 and 3, with the promise of $50 for sex. And inside the apartment, he gave Smith a drink, again laced with seven sleeping pills, and then he strangled him. And then the following day, Dharma purchased a Polaroid camera with which he took several pictures of Smith's body oh my god this is just bizarre it's just so bizarre seriously the things he did was disgusting bizarre 
in so many ways and so he took the picture of his um, body before dismembering him <coughs> in the bathroom and he boiled um, um, guys if you have a weak stomach please this part is gross okay so he boiled his legs arms and pelvis in a steel kettle with soy legs yeah which allowed him to then raise the bones in the sink he also dissolved the the remains of smith's skeleton and then he later spray painted smith's skull where he placed alongside the skull of sears upon a <laughs> i know this sounds ridiculous but then these are the things that he actually did we shouldn't be laughing but then these <laughs> were the things that he actually did maybe he thought that sears had needs a company that's why Yeah and then he would just he would just like kind of decorate the skulls in one cabinet yeah inside like a metal cabinet after a week or so Jeffy I don't even want to call him Jeffy anymore because at this point he is not innocent he does not sound cute anymore so in an interview when he was asked why did he do that he he said I quote it was my way of remembering their appearance their physical beauty i also wanted to keep if i couldn't keep them there with me whole at least i could keep their skeleton yeah he's he's just a psycho in less than 3 months after the murder of smith he encountered a 22 year old chicago native named ernest miller and he he encountered him near the area where he was staying Miller agreed to accompany Dama to his apartment for fifty dollars. And then this is so weird when I read about this. And then he he further agreed to allow him to listen to his heart and stomach. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, this is just like what, what, what? How did it suddenly go to go? To, yeah, from murdering people and just listening, start listening to the stomach and heart. I don't know why. And so later. Um, Dama Jeffy attempted to perform like oral sex with Bella, but then Bella said this, "That will cost you extra." <laughs> He actually said that. He said that it would it would cost an extra, and so Jeffy was like, "Okay, but before that, let's have a drink." And you know what's in the drink? You know what happens after the drink? And so he killed Miller. He killed Miller, of course. after having that drink but there was only two pills so it wasn't that effective right he killed miller by slashing his carotid artery yeah with the same knife he used to dissect the bodies of his victims he then again took pictures of the body he placed the body in his bathtub and then he took pictures and then he dismembered the body and then again this is so weird um jeffy would uh, kiss and talk to the severed head while dismembering the remaining of the body <laughs> Yeah. I don't know what is going on with Jeffy's brain, but something is going on. <laughs> Who would do that? And then um Jeffy wrapped Miller's heart in bicep and portions of flesh from his legs in a plastic bag and then he placed them in the fridge for later consumption. Yes, this is where the cannibal part comes in. And then he boiled the remaining flesh and organs into jelly-like substance using soil eggs which again enabled him to rinse the flesh of the skeleton easily so his method was the same he would lure these people in 
offer them drinks and then tell them I'll give you $50 for nude pictures or $50 just to spend the rest of the night with me. Yeah, so you just do that. And so Jeffy did not kill anyone for five months. So between October 1990 and February 1991, he attempted to lure men to his apartment, but he was not successful at it. And then he would also complain about his feelings of anxiety and depression to his probation officer. I think the the anxiety and depression, I don't know if it is hereditary. I think it might be. Because even his mother was going through anxiety mm-hmm. and depression, right? And so he <clears throat> he also had like he had suicidal thoughts and whatnot and then he would tell his probation officer about the difficulty in, you know, his sexual preferences. And by nineteen ninety one his fellow residents of Oxford apartments had they have complained about the foul smell from the apartment 213 and then he and then they would complain about the sounds and the noise and the occasional sound of a chainsaw and no one knew no one knew what was happening up there right but then they complained everything about like all of these happening in Dharma's apartment and then um Jeffy would just say oh it's just it's just spoiled food in my freezer yes and they would complain that his cooking smells really bad and that they never saw him yeah, taking out groceries and yeah, stuff. Buying groceries mm-hmm. and stuff. And they would get shocked like how could his food smell when he never goes out to buy groceries or anything. But no one really suspected, suspected him. And so this one incident happened. So on the afternoon of 26th May 1991, Dama encountered a 14-year-old named... Konerak Synthasomphon. I am so sorry if I butchered that. Konerak Synthasomphon. Is it that? Or is it Synthasomphone? So he encountered this boy, right? And and coincidentally, this boy was the younger brother of the boy whom Dharma had molested in 1988. So he he approached this like this boy with the offer of money, accompanying him to you know to accompany him to his apartment and post like some pictures, right? And then according to Jeffy, he said that Konarak was 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 initially reluctant, so he did not really agree. But then before changing his mind and accompany, accompanying Jeffy to his apartment. He drugged him unconscious and then performed oral sex on him. And then after that, um, Jeffy, he was like, I have an experiment that I want to try. Oh, I remember yes, this, this part. This part, mm-hmm. yeah. I've been waiting for this part to come So up. he was like, I have an experiment, a new experiment that I want to try. So Jeffy injected. Yeah, so he, he first of all drilled drilled a, a hole into the skull of Conorak. And then he injected his brain with hydrochloric acid. And before Konarak fell unconscious, um, Jeffy let you know, he took the boy to his ba- bedroom, where the body of another victim of uh, Jeffy, that who who he whom he killed three days earlier, was laying naked on the floor. 
According to Jeffy, he said that he believed that Konorak saw this body and yet he did not react to it. And then he thought that maybe it was because of the sleeping pills. So the main reason he injected the hydrochloric into his brain was he was actually trying to turn Konorak into a zombie just to stay with him for a little longer. I don't even know how did he come up with that theory but it failed. Yeah, it failed. So the next morning while he was returning, while Jeffy was returning to his apartment, he saw Conrad sitting naked on the floor in the, on the corner of um, near his apartment. He was talking to three young women in Lao. They were standing near him. And then Jeffy approached the women. He referred to Conrad as John Hmong. And Jeffy said that he was a friend and, you know, they just had a fight and stuff, right? And he took Conrad back to the apartment. So these women, they've already called 911. And when three of Milwaukee police arrived, they said that Jeffy's demeanor was very relaxed. He was very relaxed. He wasn't, he wasn't nervous. He did not panic. He told the officers that Conrad was his 19-year-old boyfriend. Mm-hmm and that they had drunk too much and then they had a fight he's always like this when he's intoxicated and then the three women were like no but then we saw that he attempted to escape from him and everything so the officer was like you know just just stay out of their business it's none of your business and shut the hell up and that's that was what they said to the woman it's just because Sama said that they were a couple and they just had a fight and stuff right so the officer was like, just shut up <laughs> and mind your own business. But little did they know what, how, yeah. like... Yeah, if, if if the officer actually did dig deep into that situation, mm-hmm. they would have fought him earlier. Yes. Yeah. So this is actually when the, um, the pictures helped Dharma. So the police, you know, they went with him to to his apartment. They just wanted to verify if his claims were right. And then Dharma actually showed these officers these pictures, like these nude pictures of Conorak. Yeah, see, we are like, we are lovers. We took this yesterday and now we had a fight. And one of, one of the officers said that his apartment did not really smell unusual. But then one of the officers also said that, you know, he later, he did catch a strange scent. This just bad smell. The smell actually came from the body of Hugh. Remember, his body was in the bedroom, laying on the floor naked. And then the officers left. They left him. They left Conorak with him. It was, and then they just said, oh, it was just some domestic dispute. And then he he then again injected hydrochloric acid into Conorak's brain. And with this second injection, it killed Conorak. And so the next day he took a leave from his work. And then the whole day he dismembered the body, the bodies of Conorak and Hugh. And then he again retained their skulls. So he kept on killing these um, young men, right? So before his arrest, he lured a 25-year-old Joseph Braithoff into his apartment and he strangled him. He assaulted the dead body. And then after that, he re- and then he covered him in sheet, with a sheet and then 
After two days, he removed the sheets to find the head covered in maggots. Mm. Yeah. Um, I don't know if if I if I still have an appetite after this episode. And then he decapitated the body. He cleaned the head and then placed it in the refrigerator. And then he later acidified uh, his torso along with two other victims killed within the previous month. And so on July 22nd, 1991, Jeffrey approached three men with an offer of $100 to accompany him to his apartment to pose for new photographs like before. And one of the three, a 30-year-old Tracy Edwards, agreed to accompany him to his apartment. And when he entered, Edward got that foul smell. And then, and then he saw several boxes of hydrochloric acid on the floor. After a short conversation, Jeffrey placed a handcuff on Edward's wrist. And then Edward asked, like, what is happening? He told Edwards to accompany him to the bedroom to pose for new pictures. While inside the bedroom, Edwards noticed these nude male posters on the wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a videotape of the exorcist three was playing he also noticed a blue 57 gallon drum in the corner yeah from which the strong order came from so they you know they were like getting ready for this pictures he he unbuttoned his shirt and, and then he said that you know he would only be able to do that if he would remove the handcuffs and put the knife away jeffy he simply turned his attention towards the tv and then edward he observed he observed Jeffrey rocking back and forth and chanting before turning his attention back to him. And then he placed his head on Edward's chest, listened to his heartbeat and with the knife he pressed against his chest and he told Edwards that he intended to eat his heart. That is maybe he watched too much exorcist. I don't know, but I think exorcist is paranormal stuff this is just psychotic stuff and he attempted to avoid Dharma's attack and then Edward was he was telling him I promise I'm a friend I'm not going to run away just you know listen to me and they later came into terms and then Dharma was like okay Edward was like I need to go to the bathroom and then Dharma was like okay fine you can go to the bathroom and so he let Edward go to the bathroom and then Edward was was just was just in the bathroom and he was just waiting for um Jeffrey to just get distracted. So Edward came back and stuff, right? And so he was sitting on the couch watching TV with Dharma and then when Edward rose from the couch he suddenly noticed that Dharma was not holding his handcuff. And then Edwards punched him in the face that instantly knocked off balance and then he ran towards the front door then he he just stopped two milwaukee police officers robert roth and rolf muller at that corner of north 25th street so edwards really got lucky because the police at that time were passing by that street mm-hmm. and then the officers noticed edward and then he saw a handcuff attached to his wrist and then he just explained that a freak had you know had handcuffed him and then 
he and then he asked the police to remove the handcuffs and the police could not remove the handcuffs because uh, the keys did not fit so edwards he agreed to take the officers to damas apartment and then edwards also told them that i've tried I, i tried escaping from that place for 5 hours and then the police officers and edwards when they arrived at apartment 213 jeffrey invited the three of them inside and then he even acknowledged that he he did handcuffed edwards he did not even explain why he did that and at this point edwards was like he took me to the bedroom and then he did this he did that right and then jeffrey did not did not really say anything he did not make any comments on this one of the officers saw this key on the bedside dresser and as this officer entered the bedroom dharma actually tried to uh, get the key himself and then officer ross was like just back off he mm-hmm. stopped him and then and then when the officer when officer mula got into the room he actually saw this large knife beneath the bed and then he also saw this one drawer when the officer had a look into it closer he saw these polaroids right these polaroid pictures of many human bodies and all these this number men and everything everything was in that drawer all these pictures of these many males of these different males right then he took these pictures and he got back to the living room and then he was like he told officer ross these are for real mm. and then dama he saw officer mola holding the these polaroids he tried to escape but then he was overpowered and then he was arrested and then a second squad was called for backup and then at this point officer mola had opened the refrigerator and saw freshly severed heads of black male on the bottom shelf in the bottom shelf when jeffy was uh, arrested right he was caught he was pinned down to the ground he said for what i did i should be dead but he did try to escape when the police officers they did a research and they saw so many severed heads they saw four severed heads in dama's kitchen and then a total of seven skulls some painted some bleached were found in dama's bedroom inside a closet yes inside a closet the this is why closets are one of the most terrifying places on earth and then there were two human hearts and then there was a portion of muscle and different body parts right so these officers like they have been to many many crime scenes and what not right but then when this officer was in in an interview he said that for this case he was actually terrified The moment he opened the refrigerator and he saw the head, he started screaming. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that part? Mm-hmm. He just started screaming, and then everyone was just like, "What happened?" And then he just saw. And then later on, he he said that he did not. He couldn't even remember that he screamed at that time, because it was just that horrifying. Who wouldn't be horrified by that? Yeah, right. So they found all of those, and then they discovered two entire skeletons, a pair of severed hands, two severed. and preserved penises a mummified scalp and in fifth in the se- 57 gallon drum three further dismembered torsos dissolving in acid solution so a total of 74 polaroid pictures detailing the dismemberment of damas victims also found 
and later later the chief medical examiner of this case said that it was more like dismantling someone's museum than an actual crime scene just imagine the number of evidences they got from this crime scene is just crazy and it's I, just bizarre seriously and i wonder how did he make his apartment like free from all the smell of the body parts the the neighbors they did complain they got this like smell. even though they did even though if they did complain but then when the police get got inside the apartment remember when he, he said that he did not find any any smell in his apartment any fu- uh, foul smell in his apartment i i think that could just be one of the distractions like he maybe that officer just got distracted because mm-hmm. the other officer said that he got a smell opiate kind of smell mm-hmm. um dama confessed to his crimes on 25th july 1991 dama was charged for four counts of first degree murder and by august 2022 he had been charged with 11 murders committed in wisconsin like with 11 more and on september 14th investigators in ohio having uncovered hundreds of bone fragments at woodland behind his um home in bath township ohio and then he even confessed to killing his first victim and identified two molars and a vertebra with x-ray records of hicks and so 3 days later dammer was also charged by the authorities of ohio with Hicks's murder. Dahmer was not charged with um attempted to murder of Edwards nor with murder of Toomey. He was not charged with Toomey's murder because the Milwaukee County District Attorney only brought charges where murder could be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. And Dahmer had no memory of actually committing this particular murder, remember? Mm-hmm. It had no physical evidence of the crime. He pleaded um, he pleaded guilty but insane to 15 counts of murder and his trial began on January 30th 1992 he was tried in Milwaukee for 15 counts of first degree murder before judge Lauren Graham and by pleading guilty on January 13 to the charges brought against him Dahmer had waived his rights to initial trial to establish guilt So on February of 1992 Thomas Dama was sentenced to 15 consecutive life terms. The 16th consecutive life term was added in May for the murder he committed in 1978. So he got life imprisonment for 16 life terms which made 941 years in prison. He was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. schizotypal personality disorder and psychotic disorder but dama was found to be legally sane at his trial and on 28 1994 dama was beaten to death by christopher scarver a fellow inmate at columbia correctional institution in portage wisconsin he died halfway when he was taken to the hospital the cause of that was severe head trauma maybe he was attacked mm-hmm. on his head yeah so that is the case of jeffrey dahmer that is the chilling and gruesome and disgusting and just twisted and just um bizarre case of jeffrey dahmer 
and this is the, the case that actually got me into uh, got us into um true crime obsession i wanted to ask you that since uh this case really affected you like really bothered you for days right yes so i wanted to ask you if you get a chance to say or ask something from jeffrey dama what would you ask or say i would ask him like how did he got this idea to turn his victim into a zombie like he didn't only like he, he made two attempts right the other one was the first one was with the hydrochloric acid and the second one was with boiling water yeah but then in both of the cases he he failed yeah he failed but then again like how did he think that those methods would work and there was a time in this case where while he was doing murder spree the documentary that i watch it says that uh, he mostly he hunt only black men male that wasn't true it was just that he, his target the men he find attractive were muscular and tall and you know they have that manly um vibe and all of that right mm-hmm. and then he would find most of these um say victims no most of these traits he would find them in like black men but it wasn't like a racist kind of thing mm-hmm. uh his victims were you know boys and young men who were for most part poor and african american and asian or latino so it's not only black okay so guys this is it and um thank you for staying with us to the very end of this podcast bye guys see you all on friday